Here's what's going on this week at ALCF. Make plans to attend our next Women's Bible Study, where we will discuss and unpack Priscilla Shire's teaching on the armor of God as described in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. You'll learn how God's armor can protect you in battle with the enemy and develop personalized strategies to help you secure your victory in Christ. This event takes place on Tuesdays starting January 14th through March 24th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. in the chapel. December 22nd and 29th are Family Sundays. Safari Kids will be closed those days, but your entire family is invited to join us in the sanctuary for our family-friendly worship celebration. The topic for the next Men's Huddle is A Man and His Work, a six-session series which provides a biblical blueprint of work and serves as a guide to properly manage and overcome potential workplace obstacles and pitfalls. This event takes place on Saturdays starting February 1st through March 7th from 8.30 to 10 a.m. in the Fellowship Hall. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, abundant life exists to make a better you for a better world. So, Father, would you speak to us now? We have spoken to you, and we need you to speak to us. And so, Father, on this, the last Sunday before the Christmas day, that day we look to when Jesus came, We ask, Lord God, that you would visit our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would poke and prod, and that you would point us to the greatest gift you've ever given, and that is the gift of your son, Jesus. It's a privilege, Lord God, that you would choose to use me So use me in this moment, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, and let me just say how good it is um, to sit under the ministry of Dr. Stephen Newby, uh, who's been leading us in worship uh, for about a month. And um, amen. He's our worship leader in residence uh, right now, and we're grateful uh, for him. Um, And then his wife, Stephanie, and son, Silas, are with him today, all the way from Seattle. So Stephen comes from Seattle, so they've, y'all brought that weather. Y'all brought that weather. Uh, Stop clapping. Uh, But anyways, uh, what a joy and delight it's been. Pick me up in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm going to read through verse 5. This is God speaking. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, verse 3, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. 
and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh, not just saved folk, all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. I want to talk this morning from the subject, God's gift of love. When we come to the book of Isaiah, God is grieved. It's as if he's peering over the balcony of heaven and he does not like what he sees. So he says in so many words, Isaiah, come here. You and I need to have a talk. I'm frustrated, Isaiah, with my people. My people, Israel, and not just Israel, but one of the most prominent tribes of Israel, Judah. Judah, Isaiah, has found herself in a miserable state. Isaiah says, I know, God, it's bad. Isaiah, I'm so frustrated with Judah because I love her so much. And the epicenter of my frustration with my people is if I could just distill it down, she just doesn't trust me. I've given her every reason in the world to trust me. I've been faithful to her. I've been faithful to her mama and daddy. I've been faithful to her grandparents. But this generation refuses to trust me. Isaiah, you remember, you remember, don't you, Isaiah? You remember the Assyrians, the big, bad, brutal Assyrians. They're gaining steam and they're marching to Jerusalem and, and I'm seeing the fear in my people and I, I say, Judah, calm down, chill out. It, it's going to be okay. Trust me, I'm telling you, I've got this. Look to me. Don't look to them. Trust me. And yet, here's the Assyrians. They get eight miles outside of Jerusalem, Isaiah, and what does my people do? Do they trust me? No. In fear and in worry, they make a treaty with the Assyrians. So not only do they not put their trust in me, they, they trust the very ones I say they should not be trusting. So they make a treaty with them. And what do they do? That's right, the Assyrians break their treaty and turn against my people. Now, at this point, Isaiah, I'm saying, well, this is good. This is good. So, so now you're seeing they're not trustworthy. You can't trust them. So maybe, maybe now you'll trust me. But does she do that? No. Instead of looking up, she looks around to the Egyptians. You, you know the Egyptians who she used to be enslaved to back in the day with Moses, those Egyptians. She decides to trust them, and she makes a treaty with them, looking to man to deliver them. But but what do the Egyptians do? They break their treaty, just like the Assyrians broke their treaty with them, disappoint them, let them down, and now she's in a world of hurt. So now I'm going, okay, this is good. Now maybe, now maybe the Assyrians have broken your heart, the Egyptians have broken you. Now maybe you'll trust me. But does she trust me? 
No. She looks to a guy named Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians for her deliverance. And what do they do? They turn on them, attack them, and then cart them off into exile. In fact, Isaiah, I'm weeping because that's where my people are right now. They are in exile in a world of trouble and they can't blame it on Satan. They can't blame it on the enemy. They got themselves in this mess. Now let me just stop right here. Let me just send you a text message before you get all pious and self-righteous and start shaking your head and sucking your teeth at them uh, poor people of Judah who just refuse to trust God. I I want you to know in this room right now, Judah ain't the only one with trust issues. All of us know what it's like to have life back us into a corner God saying, well, that's good. Maybe you'll look to me as the source of your salvation and deliverance. And do we do that? More times than not, I think all of us in this room know what it's like to look around instead of looking up for deliverance. Some of us, some of us, maybe it's... uh, You know, life kind of disappoints us, life triggers us, something happens to us. And no, there's not literal Assyrians or Egyptians or Babylonians that we're turning to, but figuratively speaking, we get triggered, we get disappointed, we get inwardly frustrated, something happens to us, we get backed up in between life's proverbial rock and hard place, and instead of looking up to God for trust, we we, we make a treaty with pornography. We make a treaty with alcohol. We make a treaty with drugs. I'm going to lean into that to deal with my issues. Others of us, your Assyrian is your money. I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to find my security in how many zeros I've got in my bank account. And we know that to be true because when life gets hard for some of us and God says, I need you to trust me and write that check by faith and give generously to that cause or to that person who's struggling, we we don't want to do that because that then compromises our security. And that right there points out that, that that's your Babylon, that's your Assyria, that's your Egypt, it's your money. Others of us are Assyrians, are Egyptians, are Babylon. It's, it's other people. See? So when I feel lonely, when that relationship doesn't work out and I'm just left with myself, I don't like what I see. I can't, I can't sit there with myself and God is saying, no, 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 I actually wanted that breakup to happen so it would just be me and you because you had now elevated that person to deity and kind of demoted me and pushed me out the way so I kind of worked things out so that person's no longer in your because it would just be me and you. No, I, I'm going to go to Tinder and find me a Nebuchadnezzar. Some of you seasoned saints don't know what tender is. Ask your grandchild. They'll, 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 they'll tell you. 
Some of you are married and it's other people. It's your mom and daddy. I mean, here you are 30-something years old and you ain't cut the apron string yet. And you're telling your mama stuff about your marriage that she shouldn't be knowing. And then you get frustrated when she gets nosy and in your business, well, you kind of open the door. Others of you maybe, and I say this in love, maybe, yeah, it's your mom and daddy, but you're single and you're 32 years old, still living at mom and daddy's house. No ambition, no sense of direction in your life. You've put your trust in mom and daddy and you're there because mom and daddy is your surrogate savior. So you sit on their sofa all day long and you're a social media warrior pontificating on the problems of the world from your mom and daddy's house. On and on we can go. Someone once said, we often turn to God when our foundations are shaking, only to discover it's God who's shaking them. Trials have a unique way of revealing to us who are we trusting. So God oftentimes allows us to go through some things and to and to rattle those things we've been leaning on to show us that if we put our trust in anyone else outside of God and God alone, they will let us down. Just like the Assyrians and the Egyptians and the Babylonians let down the people of God. So everything else outside of God is bound to disappoint us. So God says, Isaiah, come here. I've got a problem and my people, they refuse to trust me and they refuse to trust, has sent them over to Babylon and now have you seen them, Isaiah, lately in Babylon? Have you looked at them lately? What their mood is like? Look at Psalm 137 verses one through four. This tells you how the people of God are feeling as God and Isaiah are having this conversation. Look at it with me. It says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. That would be Jerusalem. On the willows, there we hung our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Do you not see? How, 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 disappointment, how disappointed they are, how overcome with grief they are. They are weeping. And what does God say? Isaiah 40 verse 1, here's what he says. Come here, Isaiah, I, I want you to do something. You, you see my people, they're sitting there by the waters of Babylon. Do you, you see their tears? Here's what I want you to do. Comfort. Oh, this blows my mind. The Old Testament is written in a language called Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for comfort is a very interesting word. You know what it means? It means to breathe. So, so here's what he says. Here's my people. They've screwed up. It's their fault, and I want you to go greet them, but don't greet them with any I told you so's. When you go over them, tell them to breathe. Watch it. It's a picture of a person who is so distressed, who's so beaten down by life that they are wailing. And it's a picture of Isaiah putting his hand on their back saying, it's okay, breathe. In fact, he says, comfort, comfort, which means breathe, breathe. They probably doing that ugly cry. <gasps> he says, I'm not sending you there to say I told you so. 
When I was six years old, we, we lived in a little apartment there on a suburb of Atlanta called East Point, and a uh, little apartment, six years old, and, um, and, and, and daddy says to me when I was six years old, he says, son, son, I, I, I want you to go upstairs and get my shaving kit. Here I am, six years old, kids. I'm six years old, six years old. My daddy says, go upstairs and get, get, get the shaving kit. And he says to me, though, don't go inside of it. There's a razor. You'll cut yourself. Now, you can't say that to a six-year-old kid. What did I do, kids, at six years of age? I go upstairs into the bathroom, open up the shaving kit, start rummaging around, find the razor, and cut myself. And I'm bleeding. And I'm grabbing the tissue, trying to clean up. I must be taken forever. And my dad calls upstairs. He says, Brian, get down here now. And I get downstairs with the shaving kit, the, the, the blood on the tissue. Dad sees it. Must be a sight for sore eyes. I'm bracing myself for dad to go off on me, to greet me with a whole bunch of I told you so's. He does none of that. He just picks me up, puts me on his lap. I'm crying, and he just comforts me. That's God's word to somebody today. Can we be real right now? Some of you all are here and you know what it's like to sit down by your own waters of Babylon and to say, I'm in a mess. And if you were to tell the truth, I'm in a mess and I can't blame it on nobody else but me. I'm in a financial mess. I'm in a family mess. I'm in a moral mess. And who is this God we're talking about? We're not talking about a God who is laughing at you. We're not talking about a God who's saying, I told you so. We're not talking about a God who delights in your failures. We are talking about a God whose word to you this morning is breathe. Breathe. He's saying to somebody this morning, I, I saw you walk into that abortion clinic. And I wept over it. Now here you are years later and every time you see a child, it reminds you of how old your child would have been. And there's this thing in you that's filled with grief and God's saying, you need to know about me. I'm not saying I told you so. Breathe. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I, I see you. you. You broke up the marriage. You stepped out. I, I, I told you not to have the affair, and you did it anyways. You opened up the proverbial shaving kit and cut yourself. I'm not here with I told you so's. I'm, I'm here saying breathe. I'm here to comfort you. We don't serve a God of condemnation. We serve a God of comfort. For if anyone be in Christ, there, there's no condemnation. I love it, though. My favorite word in verse 1, though, is not comfort. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, comfort, comfort this people. He doesn't say, comfort, comfort the people. He doesn't say, comfort, comfort those people. He says, comfort, comfort my people. In other words, if I'm 
Paul is saying, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, let me remind you who we're talking about. These are stiff-necked, rebellious people who are repeat offenders, who made uh, these treaties with the enemy, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians. They keep, oh, in fact, if we just rewind all the way back, they've been doing this from day one. And you're still claiming them? Are you serious, God? And God's like, yeah, Isaiah. They're my bride, not my girlfriend. Girlfriend's audition for the ring. She's already got the ring. So I need you to show them I've got more mercy than they've got mess. She's mine. Gary, early on in my pastoral ministry, I, I sat down with a guy, we'll, we'll call him Jack. This is years ago. And um, every time Jack and I would get together for counseling, it would always go like this. I'd sit down with him and I'd go, um, uh, Jack, how's it going? Uh, he'd go, Pastor, it's, it's, it's not going good. And, and I'd say, Jack, uh, are we talking about your wife? We'll call her Jill. I know that's original, Jack and Jill. Just work with me. Yeah, 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 Pastor Jill. I said, what happened, Jack? Please don't tell me it happened again. Pastor, it happened again. I caught her cheating on me again. Are you serious, Jack? Yeah, yeah. And Jack would tell tales of walking in on Jill or sometimes he'd follow her and he'd track her to that hotel and he'd, he'd wait outside. And I'd say, Jack, well, what'd you do? And sometimes he'd say, well, I just rushed in and pastor, I got angry and I threw them out of there. Or, or, or there were other times I, I just sat in the car and waited for it to finish. And then we'd, I'd confront her and, and she would apologize profusely. And then, then I would say, well, well, Jack, what did you do? Oh, well, well, pastor, I, 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 I took her back. And after the fifth time of this, I'd say, Jack, why do you keep on taking her back over and over and over again? And he would say, I, I don't know. I don't know how to fully explain it. All I can say, Pastor, is I love Jill. Now, I know what some of y'all are saying. Some of y'all are saying, well, bless God for him. I ain't got that anointing you got one time. And I'm not here to say whether or not you should, you should take them back. But, but what I do want you to say, see, is in the Bible, you should understand that a metaphor that God uses for our sin is spiritual adultery. So, so every time we sin, we, we play Jill to God's Jack. And when we mess up, what does God do? He, he, he keeps taking us back and, and keeps taking us back and keeps taking us back. So some of y'all are going, well, Jack's a fool for keep on taking Jill back. Well, if you're going to say that, then God's a fool because he keeps on taking us back. So comfort, comfort my people. Here's what I want you to understand. This is the central idea of this lesson. Look at it with me on the screen. Here's what God is saying. When in distressed... I want you to remember that God's love is greater than your mess. Yeah. 
So now he moves from God's covenant to God's call. Some of you may be going, well, pastor, it just seems as if you're being light on all of these issues. God's not being light. Look back at verse two. He tells Isaiah after telling him to comfort, comfort my people. He says, verse two, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Now, remember these words that her iniquity, her iniquity, her iniquity is pardoned. Now, some of you all don't know what iniquity is. Here's a synonym for iniquity. It's sin. God's saying, well, let's call a spade a spade. What you're doing is sin. I see it, I, I acknowledge it, and here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand her sin is, is pardoned. Again, the Hebrew word, this is as technical as this little message gets. This Hebrew word for, for pardon, here it is. It means to receive with pleasure. It means to receive with pleasure. It's a technical temple term that was used as a reference in that day. Back then, when you sinned, you had to bring an animal without spot or blemish, and when you brought it to the priest, the priest would inspect it, and, and if it met God's qualifications, watch it now, he would receive, he would receive with pleasure the sacrifice for your sins. He says, God has, God has, hear it now, no matter what it is you've done, he says, he says he has pardoned, he has forgiven, he has received with pleasure the ultimate spotless lamb as a sacrifice for your sin and his name is Jesus. Now, if you're astute, here's what you should notice, though. God's forgiven Judah, but nowhere in the text does it say Judah asked God for forgiveness. God says, I've already forgiven her. She didn't even ask me, and I've already forgiven her. Stephen, I was, uh, I was in Atlanta's airport a couple months ago. I had to change planes. You know, I'm a Delta guy, so, you know, the way to hell is going to have a layover in Atlanta. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I, I've, got, I've got a connection, but, I, but I've got some time. So I go to P.F. Chang's, Stephen, uh, Terminal A, Terminal A, P.F. Chang's, um, r- right next to the Ferragamo store, term, Terminal A. And uh, I get to P.F. Chang's and I order about $20 worth of food, about $20 worth of food. Don't, don't, don't eat too much. I, I eat my food. Then I look at my watch. It's time for me to get to my gate. And I, and I, and I, ask, I ask for the lady. I said, yeah, I, I need the bill. True story. I need the bill. And, um, and she goes, I'm sorry, sir. I can't do that. I, I says, okay, why not? She goes, well, someone's already paid your bill. And I'm looking around and I'm looking around. And I don't see nobody I recognize. I'm looking around, looking around. I don't see. I didn't ask for anybody to do this. Somebody, somebody just paid the bill. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, my prayer is in a few moments you're going to give your life to Christ. And then at that moment, what you need to understand is your bill's been paid. And you don't need to look around and you don't need to look around and you don't need to look around. You, you can just look up and thank him. He didn't ask for your permission 2,000 years ago. He, he didn't ask for you to, 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 to grant him that. He, he just did it without you even confessing a single thing 2,000 years ago. Before you even got here, your bill was paid. Now notice what he says. Isaiah, t- tell my people her iniquity is pardoned. 
And then he says this, I love it. Look with me at the text. He says, verse three, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for God. Now don't forget, he's talking to people who have blown it. He's talking to people who've been doing life on their own terms. He says, I want you to know you're my people. I'm in covenant with you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm, I'm not here to bring up all your mess. Your bill has been paid. But not only that, verse three, when he says, I want you to prepare and I want you to make straight. Here's what he's saying. I've not only brought you in his mind, I've actually right now in the midst of your sin, I got a call on your life. I got a call on your life right now. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, if you've been around church, you know this scripture, but need I remind you, this scripture is given to Israel, to Judah, while in the midst of Babylon, in exile, in, in, in their sin, he says to them, in the midst of their sin, he says, look at with me on the screen, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I've got plans for you, he says to people who are in sin. These aren't people who've dotted all, dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's. It's as if Jesus is walking into the most sinful, vile places and he says, I got plans for you. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, look, I was at the 49ers game last night. What a game. What a game. What a game. What a game. Uh, I know Oakland people ain't cheering. Y'all going to Vegas, whatever, but what a game. And here we are, man, uh, we, ain't, we ain't surrounded by believers at this game. <laughs> and they saying stuff and putting, combinating cuss words. I didn't know those words could go together. And, and it's like Jesus would sit right there and say, listen, I got plans for you. Like, I got plans for you. And, and, and the plans I have for your life, no amount of zeros can satisfy it. See, see, so... So imagine I get home from my little trip where I changed planes in Atlanta and a couple weeks later, a woman calls me on the phone and she says to me, hey, you don't know me. Uh, I know you. Uh, a couple weeks back, you were at P.F. Chang's. I saw you. I paid your bill. Uh, I live in Pittsburgh, but I'm about to go on vacation. I've been looking for someone to, to, to watch my kids. I, I know you live in California. Can you catch a flight and watch my kids in Pittsburgh? After all, I paid your bill. I'm going to be like, slow your roll. It was just $20. I'm grateful. Give me your address. I'll write you a thank you note. Maybe get you a gift card to 7-Eleven, whatever. But I'm not getting on no plane over a $20 bill. But now imagine if she paid my mortgage. Imagine if she paid that bad boy off. I'm going to be on the next flight. I'm going to use all my vacation time. And I'm going to offer to not just watch her kids, but Pookie and M's kids. I'm going I'm to do it all. What are we saying here? The greater the redemption, the greater the response. Don't you know on a cross, Jesus Christ paid the equivalent of your mortgage? He paid for every sin you've ever committed, are committing, and will ever commit. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, but he's washed it white as snow. And having paid everything, he says, I've got a call on your life. Now, if you paid it all, Jesus, just tell me what it is you want me to do. I'm yours. Amen. 
He says, here's what I want you to do. Let's go home on this. He says, I want you to prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Then verse four, every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. Here it is, verse five. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Who is that? It's Jesus. In John chapter one, John said, when I saw Jesus, we beheld his glory. And all flesh shall see it together. That's why Paul would write, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and declare him to be king of kings and lord of lords. For the mouth, he says, of the Lord has spoken. Now, this is interesting. I'm in my seat, but this is interesting. Did you know in Isaiah's day, whenever a king would go to a part of his kingdom he had never been to before, that he would never travel on a previously built road? For security reasons, he just wouldn't do it. They would always custom make him a new road to take him to this part of the kingdom he had never been to before so that it would guarantee the king's safety. Isaiah is pulling on that imagery here. He says when King Jesus comes, here's what will happen. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain shall be brought low. The rough places shall be plain. Here's what he's saying. This road won't take him into dangerous territory. It will be a smooth, straight road. Now, why is he saying that? Because it will guarantee the king's arrival. When is this written? It is written 750 years before the advent of Jesus. He is saying this road will be safe. It will be straight. Count it. Put it in your iCal app. Jesus is coming. And it happened. And just like it happened once, it will happen again. He is coming back. In the meantime, in between time, what does he call us to do? To prepare the way of the Lord. To make straight his paths. To not live this life as if this life is just about money and getting letters behind my name and and fancy clothes and wonderful cars. We ain't taking none of that to heaven. But to live for the king's agenda. If you're here today, I'm here to tell you that God has brought you here today to tell you no amount of money or fame or prestige will ever scratch you where your souls itch. It's only Jesus. And that true fulfillment in life happens when I am about his agenda and not mine. I got a buddy of mine, he lives in Palm Beach, Florida. I said, man, how's it going? He says, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset. I said, why? He said, you know, I came to Palm Beach to chill out. He says, I'm not against Donald Trump. But he's got this golf club here. And he, every time he comes down here, the city goes from peace to chaos. And he says, it ain't got nothing to do with Trump. It's all these rules they've got for presidents. I said, what do you mean? He says, did you know when Air Force One comes that there can't be any other air traffic in the area? Which means there's been times I've tried to catch a flight and my flight is delayed because the president is on his way. He says, and the president gets off the plane and gets into his motorcade 
and there's traffic in the streets. They set up these barricades and put up these detour signs. And, and, and there's been times I've been stuck in traffic for hours. Because when the president is here, his agenda trumps anyone else's. He says it's the same way with Jesus. When Jesus comes, our agendas will mean nothing. When King Jesus comes, whatever it is we'll be doing will not matter anymore because his agenda will trump everything. But unlike the president, when the president comes, it goes from peace to chaos. When Jesus comes, it will come from chaos to peace because he is the king of peace. He is Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords. I just want to say to you, And I know God's been speaking. Some of you, you've been sitting down by the waters of Babylon in 2019. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ is saying to you today, I want to invite you into my family. I've already pardoned your sins. I paid for your sins 2,000 years ago. I am here not waiting in condemnation. I am here waiting in comfort. You are my people. And there's no amount of sin we can ever commit to make him turn his back on us. No other religion can offer you that. He's come to give you peace and a hope. But not only that, I declare to you, there's a call on your life. Your daddy may have abandoned you, but your heavenly daddy wants to adopt you. Your mother may treat you like dirt, but your father treats you like a masterpiece for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is what Christianity offers you. Will you say yes to Jesus? I want to pray. I want to pray. I'm going to pray, and I believe God's going to do two things. One, he's going to invite someone, some people here today who don't know Christ, and they're going to come in relationship with a God who's waiting to say to you this morning, my people. My people, my people, my people. But then there's someone else here today and and you would call yourself a Christian and you've reflected on some, some iniquity, some sin in your life. And if you're to tell the truth, you really haven't received the love of God. You haven't done for yourself what God has already done for you and that's forgive you're sitting down by the waters of Babylon and you're weeping because if we tell the truth you've made a mess of your life there is no mess God cannot fix there is no failure that is beyond his reach Morning by morning, new mercies we see. On this December 22nd, God didn't wake us up with December 21st mercies. There was a fresh batch of mercy waiting on us. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. I've got plans for you. He tells them that while in Babylon, I got a call on your life. 
The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, and he says God's done, and God says that's a lie. I'm just getting started. I got a plan. I got a call on your life. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Remember that when you go to your job at Google or LinkedIn or as a teacher or at home with kids, whatever it is you may be doing, that the call of God on your life is bigger than that cubicle, than that corner office, than that kitchen. It's to work in such a way that you are preparing the way of the Lord. So Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I believe under the power of the Holy Spirit that there are people here this morning who bought plane tickets, who hopped in cars, who in their mind, they were coming out for a nice, sweet time with family and friends. But in the sovereignty of God, you had greater plans that they would come here to the Bay Area to hear of your profound love for them, of your comfort for them, of your forgiveness of them. That you want to reroute someone's destiny today and you want to adopt them into your family. God, I shot my best shot this morning and I pray that you would take these few loaves of bread and few pieces of fish and you would multiply it and you'd save souls. And there's someone else today who is a Christian who is by the waters of Babylon and they've, they've been under a cloud. May they receive your comfort today in Jesus' name.